0: Listen listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha J and Lisa Michelle,
1: the show for up-and-coming mental health professionals, advocates, and anyone else who wants to learn more about the mental health field from two not-so-professional professionals.
0: Hello, hello, folks. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you are returning, great. Welcome back. Um, if you're new here, thank you for giving us a chance. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, we have been talking about the workplace a lot. We have talked about people being included and not having enough inclusion in the workplace. So today we wanted to do an episode discussing generational differences, um, be that inside or outside of the workplace. So. Today's episode will probably be longer, but it'll be fun. It's going to be great. So <laughs> so let's go ahead and start with the mostly oldish generation. <laughs> That's going to be the silent generation. So, Michelle, do you want to start talking about the silent generation?
1: Yes. So the breakdown that we used to uh, determine the ages and who's where is by Michael T. Robinson. And we'll have the show notes at the bottom. It is a lot of notes and articles, so get ready. But he has a an article on CareerPlanner.com, and it breaks down each of the generations. So the Silent Generation would be those born between 1925 through 1945. Um, now these cats faced two recessions, um, an increase in the retirement age, World War II, and something to note when we say you know they faced this or that, is that they faced you know, you know, World War II or what have you, and everything else to follow. So, World War II and Vietnam and the Cold War and the War on Terror. You know, they, they saw everything else, but these are just the things that are specific right. to their breakdown.
0: Right. That's really good to keep that in, in perspective.
1: They're known for a strong work ethic, um, being thick-skinned, um, having more of an extreme respect for authority.
0: Um, and they hold three-fourths of our nation's wealth. Right. And, and that's interesting, too. Good for them. But <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> right. But I guess it's really not that surprising because when you think about it, your grandparents have more money than you, right? Um, or the, <laughs> the oldest people in your family generally have the most wealth, right? They're the ones who, who right. have everything that possibly will be passed down, Right. Right. that's not really surprising. Right. Well, and they've had more time to get it together. Right. I mean,
1: someone who's born in 1925 would be 95 now. That's right. a long time. That's plenty of time to hopefully get get your ducks in a row.
0: And like you said, with their work ethic, I mean, they, they worked hard for it, likely, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so again, good for them. So the silent generation also... Um, on the mental health side, they suffer from a lot of depression. And with that, there's a lot of suicide as well. And what we have to think about when talking about that is, one, there's a lot of research that shows us that, right? There's a lot of research saying that suicide is rampant in the elderly community. There's also a lot of research, and I'm sure we all know from personal experience with our older family members, we know that they don't Really trust healthcare professionals, right? We know that they don't regularly go to the doctor. Um, we, so I completely doubt that they'll go to mental health care professionals, right? So it makes sense that their depression is left untreated. And it also makes sense that because they're not going to the doctors, they're Physical issues are taking a toll on them. And Mm -hmm. so the physical ailments and the depression are likely feeding each other, right? And then you also have to think about. Because of their stage in life, so like dealing with death of friends, um dealing with retirement, dealing with their younger family members trying to force them to go to the doctor and and the changing of stages in their life, all of that stuff are contributing factors right and and so obviously, it's not something that we want but but you can see where the statistics come from because the depression is left untreated so a side health article that we'll also link in the show notes talked about there being a need for more mental health professionals who will specialize in geriatrics. And first, I guess that's true, right? We we do want specialties for every area. Um, but I feel like the statement itself and the way it was written in the article was just a little bit unfair because One, I don't think that that can solely be the responsibility of the mental health professional, but also I think it's a bit naive to say that... Well, there's a population that's generally resistant to any kind of healthcare professional. But if you specialize, they'll come on over to see you, even if you are pretty young because you're in school to specialize in this area. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, your great grandparent is going to take your advice and come see you as a, as a mental health care professional. Yeah, I just think that's a bit naive. But obviously, if there is a specialty, then people can and will specialize in it right and so that will create the opportunity for those few people who do want to give it a chance to be able to do that so I don't think it's I'm not saying that it's a bad idea right I think it's a good idea but I don't want to create the notion that you know well they're not going because y'all ain't there you know (laughs) I don't think that's that's exactly true right and I think another thing
1: to that I don't Think was really taken into account, or at least you know the article is not going to give you everything ever, every factor in a in a situation. But something else to take into consideration with this generation is, like you said a second ago, they've got their their children or their younger siblings Mm -hmm. or whoever telling them you got to go to a home, you got to go to the doctor, you got to do all this stuff, right? If and when you're counseling them, you also have to take that into consideration. You may have family members who are resistant to them going or they want to be included too, make it a whole family session. You know, there's a lot of working pieces with that.
0: Mm -hmm. And then you also have to keep in mind that people have a misconception about what therapy or counseling is, right? And what that looks like. Honestly, even some mental health professionals have a misconception about it, right? And so when people think about going to counseling or therapy, they think about people telling them what to do, which as Mm -hmm. professionals, I, I hope that we know that that's not the case and that we shouldn't be doing that, right? But the clients coming to us don't really know that. And so I say that to say, if the silent generation has family members, children, grandchildren, etc. who are telling them, "You need to do this. You need to do that." They are the ones making the rules now, right? Um right. if they have those people already telling them what to do and they already have the idea that a healthcare professional or a mental health care professional will tell them what to do as well why would they want to come you know you spent your whole life um, right. most of your life being an adult you've been making the rules you've been making the money for all of these people right now all of a sudden you have to transition they have to tell you what to do <laughs> and you're like wait a minute I'm still an adult here right so that yeah. has to be in perspective as well so I mean it's, it's unfortunate that they don't want to see the healthcare professionals but it's not unreasonable, right? <laughs> right. You have
1: someone now telling you to go see someone who's also going to not tell you what to do, but kind of,
0: you right. know, you who might wants to sign the, up for that? Right. You might have the <laughs> idea that they're going to tell you what to right. do. Right. And it's right. not going to be like that in therapy. But nobody knows that until they go to therapy and until they get a good therapist, right? Because I mean, right. the, the fact of the matter is that we don't all do a, a good job, you know? And we don't all do a good job all the time and neither do the doctors, right? So as much as we want to, um, and none of us, I'm, I'm going to go with the notion here that none of us want to do a bad job, right? (laughs) I'm, I'm not going (laughs) to be the person who believes that. I don't, I don't think that we're here because we, we don't want to help people, right? Right. Um, Ideally, we would like the best outcome for all of our clients and whatever field we're in, right? Ideally, we want the best outcome for them and we want to be able to provide the best care to them, right? But it don't always go like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's even fair for them to have negative assumptions if they've also never absolutely. had that. Right? I, as a mental health care professional, would like for people to think about both sides, but that's just not realistic, you know? Yeah.
1: Especially because that generation has seen such a change in the field, whether okay. or not they were paying attention to it. I mean, going to see someone, air quotes there, <laughs> looked completely different um, in the 1950s than it does today. Right. And right. they were there for all of that. Right. So yeah, they're going to have a different opinion or, or some, um, misunderstandings. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and then also with them seeing a change, part of that change is that the professionals got younger. So that's a big deal too. That is a good
1: point. I that didn't even think about deal. it like that. Yeah. hmm Yeah. So what a generation. (laughs) What a a life. What a time. (laughs) Um, The next is the Baby Boomer. These are those born from 1946 to 1964. Mm -hmm. Um, They got the nickname Baby Boomer because, you know, their parents had been in the war or away, came back, had a bunch of kids. So a big population growth. Essentially, that's
0: how they got the name. Um, Wait. What's up? Um so are the war kids the baby boomers? Like the people who came back from the war had those kids and those kids are bit are called The
1: babies baby. are the boomers. Like okay. the babies That's, that they that had. That seems
0: strange though, right? It seemed like like the, the parents would be the ones who were booming out the babies and the babies were boomed, right? Which <laughs> is so gross. I well have it's because like, right? it's because the term <laughs> Was the baby boom.
1: Right, Was Was what happened, the population growth. And so they were the babies.
0: Okay. Right? right. Am I? No, no, that's right. That's right.
1: Yeah, because they led Woodstock and and civil rights because they were born at the end of World War II.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. You're right.
1: So they were known for things like the civil rights movement, Woodstock, um, uh, handling and kind of being in front of the Vietnam War and, and the some of the resistance to that. They also kind of um, really dived more to like the nine to five jobs and, and letting that kind of be the, the new standard, the new norm. But at the same time, they also dealt with an increase in equality in the workplace because they were the ones who were um, letting that happen and bringing that in. So they really experienced the first round of, of job equality.
0: Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're the baby boomers because of their large population, right? And with that large population, that resulted in a lot of financial strain. Um, And so they're known for staying in the workforce longer for the financial need. And they self-identify with their uh, jobs. So like, I am a teacher, I am a doctor, or whatever that is, you know, they they identify themselves based on their profession. So that also makes sense for them to stay in the workforce longer if that's where they get their identity from.
1: And I even would throw in there on that note, stay-at-home moms too. I think this was kind of the era where some people were able to do that more so. And it I don't want to say it became right. a thing. Right, I am a mom, But now it became a thing. You know, back That's in the right. day, it was expected that the woman stayed home. Right. You know, and in their growing up, it's not that it was not expected anymore because, of course, sometimes that that was expected of women. But mm-hmm. women were going into the workforce more so during this time. So some women were choosing to stay home and make that their you know, be the homemaker um, when others were, you know, so that would be another thing to kind of, again, with that self identity that became something that, was different because now some women are working and that's not their identity. Right, motherhood. because
0: some women had to work because of the depression and because mm-hmm. their husbands were off at war, so they had to work. So it was like a, a shift in women not working and then working and then going back to being stay at home moms. Yeah. So.
1: And then having the choice. You know, by the time and then of then having the sixties the then it was a, a the choice. So
0: mm-hmm. so baby boomers are more likely to seek help than people in the silent generation. And silent generation are also called traditionalists. And so baby boomers were more likely to seek help than them. From healthcare professionals, including mental health care professionals. There's a high amount of PTSD in baby boomers' generation. Obviously, there's still a lot of depression and there is a lot of stress, which is associated with the financial strain. Um, The money is limited and also baby boomers are likely to have been sharing or are sharing money with other generations. So they may be taking care of parents or still taking care of adult children Um, That kind of stuff. So that, obviously, if money is already limited and they have to stretch it even farther, then, you know, clearly that's a significant financial strain. Right. Right. One of the Forbes articles
1: that's listed below mentions how they are more conservative with their sharing of speech and information in in the Mm -hmm. field, but also in, I think, to an extent in life and in media. Um, Yeah. But – even more so conservative with things like secrets and difficulties and problems and struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, So having that in, in counseling is something to be mindful of change for them is viewed very differently. I mean, Mm -hmm. granted they were at the front line of some heavy change in our society. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, you think back to college, not became necessarily more abundant to them, but a little more accessible than in previous generations, civil rights, job equality, so they saw a lot mm-hmm. of that, but now we're kind of in this like revival period of some of those things. Right. And I don't know, I think for them, maybe there's a little bit of shell shock. And so, right, you know, they don't want to get into some of the stuff they've dealt with or the secrets they've hidden right. uh, because their parents were the silent generation. I mean, some of them, depending on where you fall, I guess, but right. they weren't going to mental health professionals and dealing with all of that stuff either as much. So that was kind of passed down to them.
0: Yeah, they are conservative with their speech and information, and because of all that Change, like you were talking about, you have to remember that people are different, right, and so they were a part of a lot of change, but that doesn't mean that they liked it. generally, it was good change, but that doesn't mean that they agree, right, which they have the right to not agree with that, um and that might be something that they bring to therapy, or they might be concerned about bringing to therapy and then also, as we mentioned before, the professionals are younger, and so you have to think about our responses to the changes that they made, right? So they uh, popularize the nine to five workday. But if their therapist or counselor is a millennial, you know, we don't really idealize the same kind of workday, right? So they might feel like having that person as a healthcare professional might not be ideal for them because they might feel like our views are different or they might feel like we were disrespectful to their views, right? I did this for you and you don't appreciate it. All of those things are are options, you know? I've never actually thought of it in that way. I love that. I just think that it's something to keep in perspective, right? Because it can't go all one way for everybody. So those are things to think about.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Dang.
0: (laughs) Um, You want to get into Gen X now?
1: Yes. Okay. The Generation X, those born from 1965 to 1979. Now we're starting to get into the things that I think our generation feels more related to, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of divorce. You know, these kids, many of them had divorced parents, grew up in separate, you know, splitting the Christmases or what have you. Um, Daycare is coming on the scene. You know, we talked about moms working in the last generation. Well, now that's a lot more accessible. Now a a lot of women are choosing to work. So working moms and some skepticism. I mean, they are raised right after some of these huge movements happened. Mm -hmm. And then they're on the cusp of a lot of things that were to come. So that came in their older age. So I don't blame them. To be honest, I'm kind of with them on that. (laughs) So, but yeah, going back to the divorce thing, you know, they, many, many, many of them are raised by single parents. Um, and witnessed, felt the effects of separated and broken marriages and broken homes, which is going to affect how they view relationships, view the timing of relationships, um, that kind of thing. Right.
0: And then, um, because of that, there's still financial strain, right? Because Mm -hmm. you go from, they were born or a lot of them, obviously were born into, um, single parent homes but also they became single parents and so there's still that financial strain and that led to a lot of them losing their homes in the the mortgage crash of 2007 so you got to think about that too
1: which is so it's so interesting interesting slash sad (laughs) slash a lot of things right but you know when you look at the financial strain and relationships and stuff, you know, poverty is a cycle that is hard as H-E double hockey sticks to break. And so I think this was, you know, that's a huge weight to carry for some of
0: these. Right. Especially because you think about how that affects you, your finances affect your daily life, but there is stress associated with that. And that affects your mental health and eventually your physical health if left untreated. Right. Um, Interestingly enough, (laughs) Generation (laughs) X in a survey, they described themselves as happy and balanced, which I, um, (laughs) I am inclined to not believe. But I guess that has a lot to do with how you view things um, and what you're willing to say to people, right? Because I think that it might have a lot to do with their parents being the accepting people. And I guess their hmm, that's parents, they may have had some parents that were baby boomers, but uh, it was likely mo- more um, of the silent generation. But if your parents are baby boomers and they got Woodstock and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Woodstock and, and civil rights and being more accepting, then it's not really easy to tell somebody if your parents, fer- if your parents, <laughs> parents, <laughs> if your parents are known for being accepting and just going with the flow then it's not exactly easy to tell somebody you're not happy right or your life is not balanced right of course it is yeah I'm great you know <laughs> so it's
1: just it's wow. interesting to think about what that is very interesting and I think too on that you know it's about what is the norm for them I what mean what is the if norm, you are so right? used to divorce and working moms or what have you Mm -hmm. well then when you're doing it yourself it's gonna feel right it feels like it's
0: regular so it does feel balanced however there's also (laughs) there's also research that shows that depression is still a significant issue but again that goes Mm -hmm. back to like you said what feels normal Generation X, they tend to believe that struggling with divorce and career balance is a normal part of life, which may or may not be for your situation, right? That may or may not be a normal part of life, but that doesn't mean that it's something that you don't need help with. It doesn't mean that it's not a cause for concern just because it's a normal part of life. Everybody has to learn their ABCs. That's a normal part of life. However, you need help to learn them, right? You don't just automatically know them one day. Car trouble is a normal part of owning a car. That doesn't right. mean that you don't get your coffee, you know? Yeah, that's a good I like
1: that. So there's a Wall Street Journal article listed um where it References how this generation and some of the later baby boomers, again, depending on where you fall, who your parent is, but they're putting their children in, children, teenagers in therapy and in counseling, but not going. Like they were not going. They were just putting their kids right. in it because that right. was good for them. They needed it, but not me. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. I would say, depending on the situation, if you're putting your child in counseling, maybe <laughs> consider also going yourself. <laughs> Just a thought. (laughs) Even if it's how to handle your child in therapy. Right.
0: Right. I mean, come on. That's a good point. That's a good point. But also, not to get too much on the parenthood thing, because people get finicky with that. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) But when you think about the nature of parenthood itself, right, generally speaking, people want to give their children the things that they didn't have, Right. And I don't want to say it like a better life because that's not always better. Right. But they want to generally give their children the stuff that they didn't have. And so if you think about Generation X being um, born into families of divorce and their parents didn't put them in therapy and they felt like that was something yeah. they missed out on, then it serves to reason that they would put their kids in therapy when they get divorced. Right. Because they think that that was something that was missing. So that. Means make sense that they would put their children in therapy and it's great right because oh, for sure because of course sometimes you need help with stuff right but like you said you probably got to go yourself too just a thought <laughs> just a thought
1: <laughs> just keep it on the right. table go um, so that leads us right into millennials um, also known as Gen Y. Right? But nobody calls us that. No,
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's millennial. People
1: probably don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> so these are us. But um, so millennial born from 1980 to 1996, which is a crazy time mm-hmm. if you think about it. I mean, so much happened in those 16 years.
0: And then also, I do want to put it out there that there is some um, – inconsistency and some disagreement about where millennials end like the last birth year of millennials um we are going to use 1996 for the purposes of this episode but i'm going to tell you why that's important in a minute um why that end date is important and significant and it really should be like the standard and i like i said i'll give you proof i i, I trust myself uh, <laughs> but I, I say all of that to say that it's interesting that nobody calls us gen y everybody says millennials but they also think that all young people are millennials yes oh my gosh <laughs> nobody else exists it's just millennials
1: people think we're in the we, group with like we're 13 jacking year olds up everything. <laughs>
0: Y'all.
1: yes um so yeah so for us we're going to use 96 um Career planner article actually says 94. We found another one that will be that's also going to be posted that talks about the cutoff at 96. And Aisha's going to get in the reason for that in a second. Um, But so this is us. This is, you know, Aisha and I, but a lot of probably listeners, hopefully. Uh, But, you know, we make up um, the biggest section of the workforce right now. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the articles references that we the millennials, revolutionize the workplace, change the definition of marriage and fight hard for social equality, which I think is, is pretty neat. If you think about it, you know, that's a lot of things that we're working on, Mm -hmm. um, not only in ourselves, but in society and in the world around us.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: another thing that is mentioned is the differences with us when it comes to getting married and having kids, these things are being postponed until we feel that we've, you know, a couple of reasons we feel we finished our education or we've saved enough money or that we have gotten to know ourselves more than, than maybe some previous generations. Mm
0: -hmm. So Jean Twinge, who is a psychologist who, um, worked a lot with millennials. She talked about how depression, loneliness, and panic attacks are all, way more common in millennials than they were in generations before us. And that's really kind of scary, honestly. (laughs) That's kind of scary considering all of the other um, generations talked specifically about how significant depression was in that generation. So if it's way more common in us, is that all of us? Does anybody not have depression? But anyway, we grew up with the term bullying in schools and also uh, nationwide violence. And I say that because I have a hard time believing that bullying didn't exist before us. I I have a hard time with that. Obviously, we know that nobody called it that, but I refuse to believe that nobody ever got bullied before millennials,
1: right? I mean- I know people who have talked about it because I mean m- making fun of someone that's bullying. Right. You know, so I think, I think maybe the term just became very prominent with like right. it, now right. it's like a piece in the news, mm-hmm. you
0: know,
1: versus, you know,
0: prior years. So yeah. Also with millennials, many of us admit to feeling helpless without phones or tablets um, which creates a lot of anxiety in millennials. Um, and I I really think that has to do with where you fall as a millennial because, of, I mean, Michelle, you know, that's clearly not me. I'm, <laughs> I'm, that's not me at all. Don't I'm, try to text Aisha. Like you're
1: not, you'll probably get a response. I don't know. You've been better lately when we've been working on stuff, but you know yeah it's I'm not re- like it's gonna be the most immediate response and it's a I'm, great response when you get it
0: I'm a reliable coworker, so when we're working on podcast stuff I'm more likely to text you back absolutely but, but if you ask me texting is very casual and I might text you a, week, a couple of days later in response so, <laughs>
1: um, um yeah But
0: also with that, in talking about the different kinds of millennials, um, one, I think it's important that we talk about how millennials kind of got – The best of both worlds, um, growing up, being able to go outside or your parents wanting you to go outside.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: Um, Right. But also having access to, you know, internet becoming a wider, bigger deal, you know, more accessible and social media growing up with, uh, growing up learning about, you know, as we grew smartphones and things like that became more of a thing. Um, So it's not exactly that we grew up with them but they became more prevalent within our lives right the
1: you know i talked about the wall street journal article a second ago about being you know our we were kind of put into counseling and therapy as children a lot of us are continuing to attend counseling and therapy that's one of the beauties of it which is, is that our-
0: great way to go millennials Use those services. Which is great for
1: us, (laughs) is that not necessarily because it became just part of the norm, but we saw the benefit Mm -hmm. from an early age. Um, So it's, it's a very powerful part of our well-being and our growth is that we not only have more access, I think, than a lot of other generations, but we utilize it.
0: Right. And I think it also has a lot to do with us wanting to help people, right? We um, More yeah. of us are going into helping fields. I mean, which there's not a lot of fields that aren't helping fields, but more of us are going into helping fields. We want to accept people. You know, we want to make sure that the workplace is right for us. All of the things that we're fighting for in social equality, I I would imagine that that has a lot to do with us trying to help ourselves and staying in counseling and being put in counseling as as younger people, right? Absolutely. So I guess that's most of the stuff that we need to talk about. We'll come back to more um, information about millennials later, but we can move on to Gen Z.
1: Yay. So Gen Z, they are the... Well, they're not the youngest right now. That's kind of a misconception. There is another generation after them already named, but we're not getting into them because they're very young. But um, (laughs) so Gen Z, Generation Z are those born from 1997 to 2012. What they're kind of known for, especially right now, because they're still young, they're still growing and experiencing things, but they grew up with smartphones Mm -hmm. now let me make the distinction of it's not just that they grew up with cell phones or technology. They grew up with smartphones. You know, I remember right, right when I did not have an iPhone. Like I remember when I had just a phone that didn't have a camera on it, you know? Right. Right. But they don't like, they have now seen just what it is like to have a smartphone or a, um, an iPod touch you know which I remember you had to have like a CD player mm-hmm. you know like the round CD player and if you had a phone you had a phone too so you didn't have it all in one
0: oh um, like a walkman so that's what you
1: mean right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so they grew up with the actual smartphone mm-hmm. um, but we're learning already that they have very strong ties and beliefs in individualism and uh, moral relativity which is super cool that that's already prominent like that's already something we label with them and they're so young so that's really that's an interesting thought
0: it is interesting i i wonder how much it will benefit them because like Mm -hmm. with us as millennials like we got coined with certain things and and it tends to have a negative effect right people did people hate millennials um, people, so much. people just, <laughs> so much. just associate millennials with all the worst things. And so I I wonder, but also hope that the stuff that we know about them so far does not impact them negatively or as negatively as it has with us, you know, right. So Gen Z are the really tech-savvy kids. And that has a lot to do with why it's so important to separate Gen Z and millennials at the 96 and 97 mark. So 1996 and 1997. So the, the differences in generations has a lot to do with technology, right? So if you think about it, baby boomers, they grew up as television expanded. Right. And Generation X grew up as computer revolution was taking hold. And then millennials, we came of age during the Internet explosion. Right. Um, with Gen Z, they had access to all of that stuff from the start of their lives right all of that stuff was a big deal when they were born they they actually grew up with smartphones but if, to put that into perspective by the time the first iphone came out that was in 2007 right the oldest of generation z at at 2007 would have only been 10 so that's still very formative right so the technology makes a significant difference in the separation of the generations um but even before that another reason to cut off the millennial and generation Z at that period is because if you think about the historical fact of 9-11, right? So when 9-11 happened, that was in 2001. That means that if we use these markers for millennials we would have been between 5 and 20 so you think school age children right so every millennial would have been in school to some degree during uh 911 right so you have like a class that you can picture that you were in during 9-11. So whether that be kindergarten at age five and your teacher was basically trying to shield you in some way, right? Or Mm -hmm. you were in college and you didn't have an actual class that morning, right? But all of us were school-age children. So we have at least some kind of memory of the significant historical fact of 9-11 but on the other hand Gen Gen Z was far and under so they likely don't have any Remembrance of the historical factor of 9 11. Does that make sense? What a
1: great right. breakdown. That is so helpful.
0: Okay. And then also there's the difference in politics, right? So for millennials, we came of age and we entered the workforce when there was uh, a significant economic recession, which is going to have a, a huge impact on our life choices, right, on what we believe about our future earnings, how we entered adulthood, Uh, like that's going to have a significant impact that Generation Z, it, it won't be as direct of an impact on them. And then- also, millennials were between 12 and 27 during the 2008 election. And the reason that's important is because that's where the youth vote became really significant in political yeah. conversation, right? So when you think about it, if they're 12, that's right at middle school, right? And even all the way up to 27, I mean, that could have even been some, somebody's first time voting, right? So that's because that's yeah. still relatively yeah young especially depending on uh where you live and when you get your license right so so that's a big deal that that really impacts what you think about politics and the impact of your vote and then we also had the first i guess we'll call him the first black president he's technically biracial but you know that still counts, right? So that happened too, and that's a significant change in the political world. So that had a direct impact on millennials too. And I think that with all of that information, because that was a lot, right? <laughs> but those those were all really significant factors of millennial life, right? Us coming to age. Um, right. and I think that, that right. that's really worth creating the separation between us and Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z. Yeah. So bring up the
1: president, the election, the 08 election. Um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't get that. Um, you know, Gen Z grew up with that. Right. Some of them were not even born. Right. So right. that, I mean, obviously people have spoken about it and how it was different. You know, our generation mm-hmm. was involved. And so that has been discussed. But for them, they didn't know other presidents. Before that, you know, like they didn't know right. that they've been told, but they didn't see it. Right. So what they came into was a huge growth and a step um, in a, in a new and bright direction for us, for
0: them, that was norm.
1: Right. You know, so it's, it's so interesting to see how that will continue to or, shape their growth.
0: Or even if it wasn't normal, it was something that they did see and they, they really didn't have to think about yet, right? Maybe they yeah. Maybe they didn't even think about it yet because it was just something that they were born already seeing. But it didn't have the impact that it would have on us as far as our voting pattern, you know, or what we think about our actual vote. To me, that's really important and that's really significant to separate there. Because I I think that if you don't, then you lose some of the things that that make the generations different, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: I like that. That is, it makes sense. Good. <laughs> it glad. makes so much sense. So still on Gen Z, just a couple other things, you know, they are now beginning in the workforce. The oldest mm-hmm. of them is, is really starting to get in that. But when it comes to things like education, you know, they have more access to education and, and different types of education. But it shows that they have a lot of doubt and fear and concern over fields of study and choosing a career path choosing a major, there is an Ellucian article listed below where it says that they have a high likelihood to change their majors, which Mm -hmm. happens. That's part of life. But for them, because the workforce is starting to change and they're seeing the different avenues you can take for different things, um, finding the major, again, air quotes, that is going to lead them there is a lot of cause of concern for them.
0: Right. They are also less likely to have had sex, um, and or alcohol obviously because of how much they they interact through technology right but that also has led to a reduction in teen pregnancy so yay for gen z right Yay hey guys good <laughs> way job. to go maybe it wasn't on purpose but good for you right right who cares how we got there
1: <laughs> not true we care right, we do care. I'm just...
0: <laughs> that's funny but I think that's um, a really interesting fact. They are also known for being innovative and conscious about equal rights like gay marriage. They obviously I just said they interact way more than anybody else through technology. Um and so what that has done in their interaction has resulted in a lot more anxiety. Obviously still that depression is there. That depression ain't going nowhere. Like we ain't
1: getting <laughs> every, rid of that for
0: everybody a while. got just got depression. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh because that's not funny, but it's just right. interesting We're that sorry. that's a note. Um, it's just interesting that that's a note in every single generation that is consistent yeah. and and increasing, right? That's just so yeah. interesting and scary, kind of. But they uh, have more anxiety, uh, lots of depression still, and they tend to lack interpersonal skills, which is... Interesting to know, and obviously not flat-fetched, if if you don't have to interact with people very often, then you're not going to get uh, interpersonal skills, right? If It's very different to talk to somebody through a computer than it is to talk in their face, right? Yeah. Uh, even with, like, video chatting and stuff like that, even that's different. That's still not the same as being in front of a person, And then, again, with Dr. Jean Twinch, who I mentioned earlier, the psychologist from earlier, she works with Gen Z as well. And she talked about Gen Z, and she called them completely unprepared for adulthood. Um, And that statement is unfair. I'll go ahead and say it is unfair. But she said that because they are less likely to have experienced the traditional markers of independence, right? Um, so, like, they're less likely to have, um, to to hang out with their friends without adult supervision. So they do, like, team sports and different things like that. That stuff, usually their parents are involved with that, but they're less likely to just hang out with their friends without their parents around. They're also less likely to have driver's licenses, um, and, you know, that's a traditional marker of independence for a teenager um so that it makes sense in that regard however there's also other research that says that they are more financially responsible um right than millennials um so i think that 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 in and of itself would at least somewhat prepare them for adulthood so i think to say that they're completely unprepared is definitely un- unfair but unprepared probably Right. Right. I mean, or at
1: least... Some. Some, but I would even venture to say that there are some who are prepared for a different type of adulthood than what we've seen in the past. I agree.
0: That's really important. That's a really important thing to note. That's that's, that's good. So that was the information on each generation, what makes them who they are, what separates them, all that information. So now we're going to talk about how that looks in the workplace and what kind of differences we see in the workplace. So remember, Michelle said earlier that millennials are the largest group in the workforce right now. We make up the majority of the workforce. So keep that in mind still. The Forbes article that we referenced earlier, in the article, they referenced a survey that was conducted over the phone. And what they asked the higher-ups, the people in positions of authority, they asked them what were the greatest differences in the employees by generation. So what differences did they see in their employees by generation? So 30% responded that communication skills were the biggest difference. 26 responded that the generations differed by um, their ability to adapt to change. 23% reported that the biggest difference was in technical skills. 14% reported that there was a big difference by generation in cross departmental collaborations. It doesn't note it, but I wonder if they were asked about inter departmental collaboration.
1: Mm, That's interesting. Yeah,
0: I just I just wonder if they were allowed to talk about that or not. And if it was like maybe an insignificant response or if they just didn't gather the data on that. And then, of course, the last seven percent, they responded that there was no difference that they could see across the generations. So that's what leadership is seeing in the workforce. One of the articles that we list under the show notes um, is from the American Management Association. Uh, It's called The Myth of Generational Differences in the Workplace. And I'll be honest and say that I think that the title of the article is rather misleading, and so the article was supposed to talk about obviously, it's titled The Myth of Generational Differences in the Workplace. And what they reported on um, they gathered data about the different generations in the workplace, but they reported about the values of people in different generations, right? So it didn't talk as much in the article about working together in the workplace. It just talked about what people valued. So it didn't talk about the differences in their work ethic or how the work ethic was the same or if they work well together. It didn't talk about that. Like it didn't talk about the actual workplace. It talked about the existing people in the workplace and what they value. So that's why I said I think it's kind of misleading. And maybe that was on purpose. Maybe it's supposed to be like a, hey, guys, we have more in common than we do differences kind of thing. And
1: I appreciate that or the attempt at that. So the article, I'm just going to like name a few of the things that they talk about that we value mm-hmm. and have, you know, put our value in. It's like family, respect, leadership, change, loyalty, learning, and feedback. And the thing is that for the most part in our culture as a whole, like an American culture, mm-hmm. we have some level of value and importance on each of those things. I mean, right. I, I don't know any right. single person who, generation difference or not, doesn't respect the idea of respect or doesn't have some kind of concern on loyalty.
0: Right. So
1: we're going to talk about a couple of these, but I just, as a whole, I think that's, it's easy to say, oh, we have more in common than we do different on these, however, I think like seven things. Yeah. Which well, the seven things are like generic. Right. They're not very specific to working. Right.
0: And that's why I feel like I think it's important to talk about it being misleading because it was misleading because, you know, you went there to learn about the differences between the generations in the workplace. And that's not what you learned about when you left. You know, you didn't gain that. Right. And mind you, I'm not saying that there's no value in the article. I did appreciate the article itself. And like you said, we know that people have those values. We know that people still value those things, likely in a different order based on the generation. But we know that we all still have value in those things. I wish that it gave me the information that I wanted. Right. (laughs) What I will say, however, is that that article talks about more of the data being available in a book that the author is writing. And so that's important to note too. I did not buy the book. I'm not going to buy the book. Um, so, you know, if somebody has it or is inclined to tell us about it, what they know of the book, please feel free to do so. I just didn't feel inclined to do it because I didn't get enough from the article. Um, So there's that. And then also when the article uh, referenced those seven different values that we all tend to have in the workplace, it talked about us valuing those things differently, but some of it just wasn't clear i guess like specifically for um respect when talking about respect the article mentioned that like older people valued respect in the sense of i have a voice um And you should listen to me based on my experience, right? Whereas it said that younger people value respect in the sense of, I have something to say, listen to me. And those don't really seem different to me. That seems like both young and old wanted to be heard, right? They wanted to feel like their voice was valuable. Like that didn't seem different. Did it, what, did, what did you think? Did you feel like that was different? Um.
1: Yes and no. Like, I get, I feel like I get why it, the author did it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm with you on the sense that at the end of the day, both parties are saying, I'm useful. I have something to say. Mm-hmm. Do your due diligence and listen to me and hear me out. Right. So I, I don't know. I think it's a nice way to say the same thing in different ways, but.
0: And maybe that's my fault too, because like when I went to the article, I was expecting um, data, right? And so I was expecting them to tell me something clearly. And those quotes, like the way they referred to respect differently within um, the older group and the younger group, that seemed like I was supposed to read between the lines, but I didn't want to do that because we're talking about data, Right. So I'm just going to use what you give me. Right. Does that make sense? Like, okay. All right. Well, yeah. I think so. Okay. If
1: you don't think so, write about it and tell us. (laughs) Right. There is also an article by Michelle Chang listed below talking about millennials in the workplace. Um, (laughs) So a lot of people assume that, and and they'll talk about it. I've I've heard it. I've said it before I researched this, actually, um, that millennials are not staying in jobs um, for very long or long enough so here's the thing they are staying in their jobs it's you know two point odd year so it's just under three years mm-hmm. but that is the same amount of time that other generations were staying in their jobs at this age so it's not just about in general it is for this age like so in your early 20s baby boomers also job hopped a little bit At this time, but then stayed when they got there. And so millennials, I think we still have the potential to get to that point. So I think it's a little unfair to assume that all of us job hop. Now, granted, you've got older millennials who are doing that. So Mm -hmm. that's still fair. But the whole group is still learning that.
0: Right, right. And then also, I mean, it's common in your 20s because in your 20s, most people are not really sure, right? So it makes sense that you're looking for the right job or the, the job that you envision. So that's Absolutely, too.
1: And of course, you know, not everyone is hiring the person right out of school. I mean, you know, right. a lot of people will finish <laughs> college at 22. So let's say you go into marketing. Some of these marketing firms don't want to hire 22-year-olds for right. a full-time position. Right. So again, That having to supplement jobs or do something while you get kind of under-the-table experience Mm -hmm. isn't a bad thing because that, again, that's been happening for for years and years before.
0: Right. Um,
1: Another thing mentioned in the article is that moving around has been beneficial for millennials as well. I mean – I heard someone talking the other day and they said, you know, when I look at a resume and I see a lot of different things on it, I have a little more faith in that person that they are able to keep up with the changes and do different things and hold different positions. Mm -hmm. Um, So That's not always a bad thing either.
0: Right. There's value in both sides. I think that's important too. Um, And this article also mentions that millennials seem to have unrealistic expectations regarding the time it takes for promotions. But I think that, um, again, you have to realize the value in both sides of that. That one, most people from the past, because we just said that other generations did it too. So most people in their 20s have jumped from different jobs, right? To and from different jobs. They bopped around some, um, which means that you didn't spend a significant amount of time in each job. But Michelle also just told us that it's been beneficial because some managers like to see that, right? So what that means is that it's not really unrealistic if the managers are promoting you, In that amount of time, right? If they're saying that, hey, you meet the criteria for this promotion, then obviously that's not unrealistic, right? (laughs) Or if they're saying, oh, I like the fact that you've moved jobs and, you know, I think you're ready to handle more stuff because you've experienced this and this and this, right? Well, then that's clearly not an unrealistic expectation, and how long it should take me to get a promotion if the proof is showing me that that's benefiting me. And then, of course, on other sides, I can admit that millennials do tend to have unrealistic expectations, um, specifically on the financial side of their jobs. Right. I would, mm-hmm. I want to be able to make this much money at this age or at this level in the company right and I think that that's important to note too like we have to be able to look at it objectively and say that sometimes that that expectation can be unrealistic however it's not always the case because some managers like to see that whereas others just like to see consistency right um we know right. that uh some people used to like the you used to have to answer what what's the interview question where you had to answer um oh yeah I stay I'm I'm the first to arrive and the last one to leave and then <laughs> that's what right. used to sound good but now that's like well what about your time management you know <laughs> like so you know things change um but also different people like different things and also uh I think that there's more of a, a quality issue with that so because people like different things I think that it's hard to really say which one works but if you are putting in the quality at a certain position if you're working hard enough for people to see well hey this person has only been here for a year and a half. However, this is their track record, right? That's quality. Yeah. And you can be promoted based on quality over quantity. And, of course, we like to be able to say one matters more because you sometimes you want to answer for stuff, right? <laughs> but sometimes you just don't get an answer for, you know? Sometimes it'll be quantity. In universities, right, people work for tenure. That's a Right, good point. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes... Uh, Quantity will trump and sometimes quality will. And I think, I think there's benefit in both of those things.
1: Absolutely. And as you're navigating that, it's something, I think there's something to be said about talking with those around you, whatever generation they're in, you know, we talked, um, last week about being able to be honest with the person above you or your mentor and ask mm-hmm. about, um, um, positions or jobs or mobility or, or what have you. And I think the same with, we're still kind of borderline talking promotion. Right. Um, I mean, use some of this information today to, to have those conversations with people around you. Right. Because again, some of these people who have been working there for 75 years, they're doing it for a reason. They're clearly not getting fired. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're doing something right. Right. Uh, sometimes. Right. <laughs>
0: It's not everybody in every category. Right. But still. But like you said, um, just like last week, we talked about, you know, putting your best foot forward and specifically earning your place at the table. Right. Right. That goes with quality this week. Earn your place. Do the best job that you can. You know, put your best foot forward. And sometimes that quality will be enough. But sometimes you'll also need quantity to match that. Right, and that's okay. We just have to be okay with it.
1: So that was how you know we're different in the workplace, and for this next section, we're going to talk about how we can work together, um, even with being in different generations. So the first is working together in your sessions. Don't be afraid to address the differences between you and a client or what have you.
0: Right. I think it's important to remember that generations have their own culture. Um, And I guess like kind of a side note, but I hope that that's something that's being addressed in like multicultural class. Right. Um, But it's important to remember that that's, those are kind of the things that we talked about earlier in the episode, right. Um, Identifying the staples of each generation. And so that creates a culture. So I think it's important to, to learn to address that just as you would with uh race or gender or age um you know we we've, we've mentioned in a previous episode that um it's important to ask your clients those things you know are you okay with being this person and I'm this person right Right. I think the example I used before was um, having to ask a white male, is he okay with me being a black female and being his therapist? Um, so don't be afraid to talk about that, to ask somebody in a different generation, you know, are you comfortable with me um, being your therapist? Would you prefer somebody closer to your, your age or from your generation who you feel like understands things that you've been through? Because, you know, obviously as a therapist, we, we learn empathy, right? So you don't Necessarily have to go through something to understand it's important to the other person but they may feel that way and we also know that perception is everything right so if they perceive that as different that's important to them right um and like you said it's a partnership and
1: um with that it's not something that you force it's something that Mm -hmm. happens um just like you don't want to force that you also don't want to force what y'all are doing Mm -hmm. in sessions you know, think about different homework you would assign or exercises just because you think they're ready or need to change or, um, they need to move on in this way. It can't be forced. And that's something, you know, like you said about classes and, and, you know, multicultural courses, that sounds textbook. Mm -hmm. That sounds like, well, duh, (laughs) of course you would know that, but it, that's still something that you have to be cognizant of if you're working with someone in a different generation we have no bullet point about any generation enjoying being forced into anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no one likes that, right? Especially with you know older generations, consistency and that patience as they're working through. First of all, counseling, which they we already said they have a problem with. They that's an issue, right? Um, so it's going to take time, and it's going to take consistency and faithfulness for them to trust and and succeed. So just don't force people to do things, right? <laughs>
0: Right. That's all. You know, we we talked about that in a previous episode too. You know how we have this this saying throughout the field of of meet people where they are. But I I think there's a fine line between saying that and actually doing that. Um, yeah. and you know when when you think about making somebody accept you, right? If that's where they are and they don't feel like, even though you've been trained to be able to empathize with with them, if they don't feel like you can you can't force them to be ready to accept you right so that's one of those meet them where they are kind of things you know and I think
1: in I don't know about you but in my mind as I'm saying these things I'm picturing like working with someone older than me yeah but it's the other way around too. Right, I mean right. older therapists will need to be cognizant of this as well when working with someone who's younger and radically different. Yeah. I mean, it, it's both sides of the street.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point because when you think about like a an older person working with a younger person, specifically, I'm talking about adults, right? An older adult working with a younger adult, right. there tends to be kind of a... I don't want to say I'm the leader kind of attitude, but there's more of a let me guide you kind of thing on the professional side. I'm going to tell you what works. Right. (laughs) You know, and obviously I I don't mean that to say that no older professional knows how to let the client (laughs) lead the session. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is like that there tends to be um, a certain air in expectation, right? And that can be off-putting, you know, so you have to be able to acknowledge that and be willing to change that. And I'll also say, because uh, Michelle, me and you have worked with kids, when working with kids, then obviously that's an older professional working with a younger person, right? But when working with kids, then there's also the kids tend to have a belief that older people are authority figures, right? Because in American culture, we teach them about respect, right? Respecting your elders. And different things like that, specifically in the south. Um, that's a, a bigger deal, right? But kids look up to you like I meant that, like in a in a very basic, physically looking up to you kind of way. <laughs> that might be silly, <laughs> but you know, they look to you as the authority figure. And I think that's important to note because sometimes we can lead them quicker than they're ready because them being kids, they want to please the authority figure when, when you're that close in front of them. Right. So they may just agree with you and just go along with it, but they may not always be ready for that. So I think that's interesting too. That's a good point. I hadn't,
1: as we as we wrote this and worked on it, I didn't consider children at all. Right. Which, like right. you said, we both worked with children. I don't but, but, know why. But that's
0: fair because we're, we're talking about, like, in the workplace and they're not in the workforce right. yet. So that's fair no. to kind of leave them out of it. But it's just an interesting thought, you know. It's, it's, it's something that I think we should be considering. Yeah. Um, also, Gen Z and millennials have a, a want it now mentality, generally, right? And so that, that leaves telecounseling on the rise. They don't want to wait for their counseling. They they want it now, not in three to five business days, right? Or they don't want to wait until the next intake is available in two weeks, right? Um right. and so in the session, we have to be mindful that that's going to be something that interferes with that too, whether it be our ability to use the, the technology, our acceptance of the technology, we have to be mindful of that, that coming into play. I won't get into it too much because we're going to do an entire episode of telecounseling next season. So we'll do a whole episode covering that. Um, it has to wait because it's going to be a lot of research involved because different people have different rules. So it's it's important to keep that in mind when, when talking about being in the session because you might find yourself having to... Text a client or do a a Skype session or you know things like that and then of course they have yeah. uh they have helplines national uh crisis lines and uh, a lot of college campuses have text lines where you can text and talk to a counselor um, so I, it's it's important to be mindful of that kind of stuff too
1: which is crazy that we're at that
0: era is it safe to say that yeah that
1: that point that it's it's here. Like, it's not just something. Because right. I remember in grad school, which was not super long ago, I guess, but we talked about it in grad school because mm-hmm. it was it was just getting started, mm-hmm. really. So right. now, here it is, and it's all over the place. Right. Another thing regarding therapy um, and sessions, the Society for Psychotherapy article talks about how baby boomers versus millennials view and also want their therapy to go. So millennials generally want longer stints of therapy. They want to kind of ease into it, which is funny because they want it now, like they want it right here right now. Right. But they, but they don't want it to end, right? They don't want it to end and they don't <laughs> want to jump the gun. You know, they want to kind of ease into talking about things. Mm-hmm. Whereas baby boomers are the opposite. They want fewer sessions. They don't want to spend two and three sessions getting to know and sharing and opening up mm-hmm. they want here's the treatment here's the the goal right and get out right.
0: and and that's so funny because that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier when I was saying that it has a lot to do with what you believe that that uh therapy will be like yeah. right so for older generations or like specifically you mentioned baby boomers right mm-hmm. so for them they might be under the impression that your therapist will tell you what to do right they'll give you advice they'll tell you choose this one instead of that one <laughs> which once you never be the case but it makes sense that they would want a shorter time because how long did it take you to tell me to do something right Right. (laughs) you shouldn't need seven sessions to tell me to do it just tell me the first time (laughs) But also, um, with millennials, if they have had more exposure to therapy, then they know that it's more of a partnership, they've been able to build relationships with their therapist, and they don't want it to end because a relationship has been built. Right. So that that really does make sense. It just sounds funny with the knowledge that we have of each or or the stereotypes that we have about each group. The stereotypes, yes. Right. <laughs> so also in working together between generations, you know, obviously you'll have to work together in the office, right? Or it doesn't necessarily have to be in the office, but whatever your work situation is, your work environment, right? You have to work together across the generations. And so one of the the ways that you can use this information in your work environment is simply to humble yourself, right? Um, Whatever the generation is, we can all learn from each other. And I think that that's, super important is to be willing to learn right especially if you're in a helping field I won't even say just mental health but a helping field in general yeah right if you are a teacher you have to be willing to learn too right if you're a doctor you have to be willing to learn if you're a lawyer you have to be willing to learn we know that you know we all have like continuing education to go through but learn from your clients as well learn from the people you serve you know they're not the only person in the world exist like that somebody else has a similar situation
1: that's so true um and in humbling yourself to learn from other people you also have to share information Mm -hmm. so you have to bring your different perspectives and experiences to the table at the staff meeting or at the water cooler or, or whatever you know if you are unwilling to share whether it's the knowledge you have, the history you have or whatever, mm-hmm. and and not give that out to other people. It respectfully. I mean, I I'm all about hold your cards close. Right. But that's on you. Like if they don't understand or they can't relate, sometimes that is on you. Sometimes it's right. not. For
0: sure. Right. But Especially if you, you have to do given your part. A chance. Right. I I agree. Right. And then if you don't give them a chance, then how can you expect them to give you a chance? Also, there's differences in professionalism between the generations. And, you know, that's something that we can see because we're in the workforce. Right. But I think that that's important to take with us and to be mindful of when we're trying to work together. Even if it's as simple as like the way you dress, yeah. what you think is professional wear versus what an older person might think is professional to wear you know I think that's important too and leave room for that but also be willing to accept I would say constructive criticism yeah because you know, if you think that it's professional, then I mean, you shouldn't be naked, hopefully. You know, there should be some tact involved, right? If you think it's professional, Just a little, you know? apparently. But I would say that if somebody made a comment about your professional wear, I would imagine that it would be constructive criticism, right? So be open to that. Absolutely. Um, do you want to talk about the Forbes article again? I feel like yeah. we've said this one 17 I know, times. But that, Well, good <laughs> for them because it, it had good lot. stuff, right? <laughs> So good for them. Yeah. So the Forbes article gives some suggestions as well on how to work together in the office. One of the things that I thought was really cool was that it says to mix up the teams, right? So not only one generation on one team and one generation working on another team. So like thank advertisement and I don't know how advertisement work. I don't want to give a false portrayal of that. (laughs) <laughs> I was just giving an example, but like an advertisement, you don't want, maybe you can mix up the team and have a millennial and a baby boomer and a Gen X person instead of having all of the baby boomers are directors and all of right. the millennials only bring the slang that we can use on the commercial, you know, like don't separate like that. Try to mix them up and help each other, <laughs> give people the opportunities to learn from each other. Another one was let newer professionals lead, which we...
1: Kind of discussed that recently.
0: right? Um, but that
1: goes into a lot of things with like giving new people their shot. But mm-hmm. also that's a good time to give that criticism, that constructive right. criticism. Right, right. Once they lead, once they get their feet wet, then you can say, hey, I liked that. Let's change this. Or Right, you know. right
0: exactly that's a good one they also mentioned going off-site and that's more about you know getting people out of the comfort zone so like if you're used to uh, sitting in an office and you're used to doing your job a certain way then one way to help people start thinking about change is to simply change the environment right maybe we Mm -hmm. can go to a restaurant and just have a work lunch and kind of talk through some things just to get them thinking in a different way outside of what they're used to. that's a pretty good idea too. Forbes also suggests that you uh, customize your style, right? Your management style. Uh, I guess even your work style for that matter, which I really love that. I think that's a great idea.
1: I do too. Um, And one of the ways to do that, or at least to help with that is one of my favorite things. um, Assessments. Assessments are really helpful in learning how to customize your style, your management style, your team my office, we use them every year, like every fall, we will take a new one. And then, you know, everyone will kind of bring together their answers and their results. And we talk about how to group them or how mm-hmm. to work with this or communicate with this. And it's it's really helpful.
0: Right. So you use the feedback from those assessments to determine how you need to customize your style. And remember, it's customization, so it can go any kind of way, right? right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that you have to change to this one style and hope that it suits all of the different generations, you can have a style right. for each generation, right? Whatever they respond better to. Just like as mental health professionals, we generally work in like a certain theory base or whatever we think makes the most sense. But obviously you're right. going to have to customize that some based on each client. And you can do that the same way as a manager or a person in a position of authority, right? Yeah. So I think that's really yeah. good. So another part of working together between the generations will involve uh, social media, of course, because today is the social media day, right? (laughs) It's It's everywhere. Right. Um, And because it's everywhere, of course, it's moved over to the professional world, too, right? Right. So think about maintaining your social media platforms in a professional manner. Not necessarily all of them because uh, we do know that, you know, companies have started looking into people's social media to give them jobs, to deny them jobs. And I think that's okay to some extent. I think that it's perfectly fine to check somebody's LinkedIn to decide if they have the skills that you think they need for you to hire them, right? Right. I don't think that it's okay to check their Facebook to deny them a job because mm. those are different right one is a is pr- specifically a professional social media platform, one right. is completely for fun, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having something for fun. Right. Don't tell me right. that I can't have the job because I was at a parade and I had on some crazy outfit for my Gras. <laughs> and you saw that on Facebook. That didn't have nothing to do with work. I wasn't in a professional capacity. You know, I don't right. think that that's OK. Um, But I do think it's important to be mindful of that. And as adults, we still have to be responsible. And clearly we're all adults because we're in the workforce. Right. So as adults, we have to be responsible and not put ridiculousness on. Social media because it's still the internet, right? People are gonna find it, people are gonna be upset about it, or I feel whatever way. Um, and that's just something that you decide to accept the consequences for once you put it on the internet. That's just the fact, absolutely,
1: absolutely. And something else, um, in being mindful and respectful, I want you to be honest and share what your heart's desire is. That's fine. But you don't have to post everything that's going to give someone a heart attack just for the shock factor. Um, right. Use social media for fun or for work or what have you tastefully because whether or not we love it, employers do look at it right. a lot of times. Right. In my most recent job interview, they brought it up. And what's funny is that he, uh, when interviewing me, uh, brought it up <laughs> because I had just gotten married and so he was asking... He knew that and stuff but was congratulating me, but was saying, yeah, when we were going through your Facebook, my sister and I look a lot alike. And so he would, He said he was getting confused at who was posting what and who actually, which one was me.
0: Wow. But wow. It's,
1: so, but, but it, that made me realize they were thorough. Right. If they were scrolling enough <laughs> right. to find that my sister was posting stuff about the wedding versus me, you know. So whether or not we like it, people use it. Um, for you know job interviews right. or for information when hiring, so be careful mm-hmm. um
0: and but remember that it's also beneficial in sharing knowledge it's not a bad right, thing right, and then also to go along with what you said that that brings up the point that people hold you responsible for stuff, whether it's directly from you or not, so let's say you post Absolutely. something and somebody takes it a bit too far you know and and, (laughs) and, you know you could be held responsible for that in a professional capacity which is unfortunate but also be responsible
1: yeah and people you know you, you made the comment that people are gonna take things too far or they're gonna be upset or offended by what you've shared They'll also look at your past, too. So be right. very aware of that. So maybe take this afternoon to <laughs> go through and clean up
0: right. some old tweets or something. Yeah, I think that's fair. But also, like you said, you can still have fun, right? And you can still Absolutely. use it. It doesn't have to be completely separated. I I prefer to separate mine, but it doesn't have to be completely separated because like Michelle said, you can still use it to share knowledge. You could have a Facebook group where you share with other people in your field. (laughs) Me and Michelle share funny uh, pins on Pinterest about mental health all the time, right? (laughs) All the time. All the time. So, you know, you can have fun and share knowledge on it as well. So I think that there's balance, right? Right. And then finally, working together with generations in your everyday life, I would say to remember that, again, generations have their own culture. And so give room for that. Give room for generations to be their own and give grace to generational lag. You know, people need time to come around to things. Um, But not only that. People don't have to come around to things, <laughs> you know. It's okay. Right. We we were talking about the article earlier that was talking about how much we value the same things, and while that's fine, we probably do have more things that are similar than the things that are different. However, our differences are okay. You know, that is fine. We don't all have to think the same things in different generations, right? Could you imagine if your grandparent thought the same way your child did? That would be ridiculous, right? (laughs) So it's okay for us to be different and value different things at a different level. Um, And I think that we have to leave each other room for that too. Absolutely. Um, And then also when we're thinking about giving each other room, letting people be where they are, right? Let children be where they are, young adults be where they are. Um, So there is a term called emerging adulthood that I think is so wonderful. It's a term that was coined by a psychology professor. His name is Jeffrey Arnett. And he coined emerging adulthood as the period between the ages of 18 to 25 when many directions remain possible and very little about the future has been decided. I wanted to mention that right there because We're talking about letting people be where they are. So like a minute ago, we we were giving you the stats on how people in their 20s were bouncing around from jobs, right? That's not different from any other generation uh, bouncing around between jobs in their 20s, right? And I think it's important because millennials did not get grazed. In that period, that age group, right? From 18 to 25, millennials did not get the grace to be 18 to 25, right? <laughs> um, and I yeah. also, I think it's important to note that millennials are no longer the youngest people in the workforce, right? And so what's happening is Gen Z is now in the workforce, but they're being lumped with millennials. So one, it's upsetting millennials because that's, that's, it's not only us who are doing things, but also then Gen Z gets lost, and that's not okay either, yeah. right? That's not okay for them to get lost and to get lumped in with what we're doing when that's not them. Why do they have to be responsible for our choices, and why do we have to be responsible for theirs? It's different if we were each other's parents or kids or something, but that's not the same. you know. One is 28 and one is 23. They, they don't have nothing to do with each other.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that this episode came up for us is that there are so many things that we don't know. Not even just about the ones who have been around, but things like Gen Z that are coming up. Right. We do have data on them already. We do have information. Uh, now, sure, it's likely to increase or change, but we we both have kind of experienced that we are being not blamed, but included in things that are not us. Right. They don't have anything to do with us. Right. Um, and that that can be so damaging to growth, to identity, right. to how you move up, how you move out, that right. kind of thing. And then for the call to action, for one of the reasons we do all of this, um, is that we want you to share your thoughts with us. We, we say that a lot, but right. that's how we continue conversations. That's how we grow and learn That helps us. That helps Aisha and I as we, you know, continue being professionals and and growing in that. So share your thoughts with us. Tell us how generational differences in the workplace have been affecting you um, or how you are able to overcome those differences and work together. Right. That's really good.
0: And then also, you know, if you have suggestions on other ways that we can work together, let us know that too. Also try to read the articles. We're going to link a ton of articles, so many, <laughs> yeah, like a ton of articles um in the show notes, please read them. And let us know if you interpreted something different than us, and you know we can we can discuss that as well. I think it's really important for us to be able to share and understand information. None of the articles are more than a ten minute read. Okay, so if you do get a chance, definitely read them and let us know, so we can all kind of continue to share this information and and use it the way we're supposed to use it, right? Yeah, let's grow together,
1: oh, no matter whatever generation. So sweet.
0: Shut up. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks for listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jane and Lisa
1: Michelle. Remember to check out our website at thecounselingclinicpodcast.com.
0: And follow us on Instagram at the counseling Clinic Podcast. We'll see you guys next week by our next session. Bye, guys.
1: The music provided by scottholmesmusic.com.
0: And our show is edited and produced by Chris Luke.